Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. Hey, New Grace family. Just wanted to bring you the message that God has laid on my heart uh, this week. Of course, we had with us Brother Hudak uh, in the service this morning. He was giving an update about his ministry and then, of course, preaching the Word of God to us. And it was it was great to have them with us. It was wonderful to hear the Word of God. But I wanted to bring you what the Lord said on my heart this week. Uh, you'll get the, the growth group study guide for this message Monday morning at 8.30. It'll be posted on Facebook. You can download it there, uh, print it off, or just read it on your phone or your tablet or your computer. But today, as we continue looking through the life of Elijah and Elisha, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter number 6. So get your Bibles open. We'll be there today, and we're going to get into the message this morning. I'll pray, and then we'll get right into what God's laid on my heart. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for the opportunity to come together as your children and to worship you. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is found in your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit to teach us the, the principles that you want us to live by through your word. Now, God, as we open up the Bible and we look at this story in the life of Elisha, God, I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would open our eyes and Lord, help us to see what it is you have for us today. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. I pray that you would, even as we're meeting together uh, through social media and through um, recordings, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into the heart in the home of everyone listening, everyone watching. And God, I pray that you would do a, a work in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit today. I pray, God, that you would help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And Lord, help me not to say what I should not say. But God, help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2016, Johns Hopkins University did a, a survey, a study, to find out what medical condition most people feared. And what they found out was that the majority of Americans, 40 over 48%, feared blindness. They feared losing their sight. And it's, it's understandable why. Without sight, we would miss a lot that life has to offer. Uh, we would never see the beauties of God's creation. We would never again see a beautiful sunset, or of course here in Roanoke, uh, we're coming to the time where the leaves begin to change and a lot of people would ride the parkway and see the changing of the leaves. It's something me and my family do every single year and without the, the benefit of sight, you would miss that, that beautiful transformation from summer to fall. We would never be able to see the faces of the people that we love, look into their eyes and see the love that they have for us. We would miss the, the joy that we see in the, the eyes and the faces of children as they, they play or maybe they open a gift that we got them and we just see that excitement and that joy on their fight face. Without sight, we would miss some of the best things that life has to offer. But more important than our physical sight is our spiritual sight. Spiritual sight is how we view God. It's how we view and see God's movement and God's working in our hearts and in our lives. It's, it's how we, we picture what He's doing and see His grace and His mercy evident 
in our lives. Without spiritual sight, we would miss the most glorious displays of God's glory, God's grace, and God's mercy. And one of the most tragic things that we have experienced since the fall of man is the loss of our spiritual sight. But worse than being spiritually blind is the fact that most people don't even realize they are. They don't recognize their spiritual blindness. We, we think that we can see. And the story we're going to look at today, it deals with the issue of spiritual blindness. Now, Elisha has had an incredible ministry. Uh, of course, God used him in a greater way than Elijah. He was able to do twice as many miracles as Elijah did, and he used him in a powerful way to show the glory of God, to show the power of God, and to bring Israel back into a loving relationship with God. But he was just a, a forerunner or a shadow of the greatest prophet to come, which of course was Jesus Christ. And when John the Baptist was in prison, his faith began to falter. And so he sent word to Jesus to his disciples to simply ask, are you who we're supposed to be waiting for? Are you the Messiah? Or are we waiting for someone else? And Jesus' response was, was incredible. He said to them, he says, go show John what you've seen. The blind have received their sight. The lame now walk. The lepers have been cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. But more than that, he said, the gospel is being preached. And as we've said, Elisha was used by God to perform 28 miracles. And of those miracles, he healed lepers. He raised the dead. And he brought sight to those who were blind. He did great things for God, but Jesus did greater things. And Jesus told us before he left earth that God would use us to do even greater works than Christ did. Now, we can't do greater in power. We're not going to raise the dead. We're not going to heal the sick. We're not going to restore sight spiritually and, and through the power of God, but we can take the gospel to places Jesus never went. We can see families restored and brokenness restored in places that Jesus never could have gone to while he was on, his, on, on earth. God wants to use us to take the gospel all through the world. But to be able to use us, we have to have spiritual sight. We have to be able to see spiritually what God is doing. And that's, that's what the story that we're going to look at today deals with. So get your Bibles open to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse number 8. The Bible says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou passest not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once, nor twice. So the Syrian army, they were, they were enemies of Israel. They were waging war against him. They were constantly invading them, constantly raiding, trying to capture the king, trying to overthrow the government. And the king of Syria would make plans to ambush the army of Israel, the king of Israel. But God would tell Elisha what was going on. And so Elisha would send 
word to the, the king of Israel, warning him about the danger. And the king of Israel and his army was able to escape the king of Syria multiple times. And look at verse number 11. It says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. He was mad. His plans weren't working. He was doing everything he thought was right, but every time he tried, he was he was full, uh, he was thwarted with his plans. It says, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. So the king, of course, he's, he's furious, and he thinks that one of his advisors, one of his servants, are a traitor. He thinks they're a spy, and they're, they're sending word to Israel about his plans, and so he brings them all in and says, which one of you is a spy? It's funny, he thinks that the guy who is a spy is going to pipe up and say, oh man, that's me, my bad, you don't want us to tell. But he asks, who's a spy? And they say, none of us are. There's a guy in Israel, there's a prophet in Israel, and Whenever you make plans, even if you're in your bedchamber, God tells him. Elisha had, basically he had an Amazon echo. Everything the king said, everything the, the king planned, God heard and God gave to Elisha. So Elisha would, would tell the other people. And so they would, they would they denied it and they told him that it was Elisha. Uh, then look at verse number 13. And he said, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, it host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they, they that be with them. So the king of Assyria, he sends his army, they surround the city where Elisha is with the servant Dothan, and the servant goes out in the morning, and he, he looks in the hills, and he sees the Syrian army surrounding them. He runs to Elisha and says, what are we going to do? They, they found us, they surrounded us, we're going to die. And Elisha says, man, don't worry. We're, our side's bigger than their side. There, there's more of us than there are more of them. Now, I'm sure that the servant's thinking, I don't know how you can believe that. There's thousands of them, and there's there's two of us. How are we going to survive this? How can there be more with us than there are with them? Then look at verse number 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the woman, to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So Elisha prays, and the, the spiritual eyes of his servant are open. And then he, he looks around and he, yes, he sees the army. Yes, he sees the Syrians. But behind them, he sees thousands upon thousands of, of warriors of God. Angels and chariots of fire ready to protect them and defend them. And he sees God's power 
all around them. Then the, the Syrians come down and Elisha prays and he smites them with blindness, but it's not actual blindness. They can still physically see. We know this because he leads them to Syria, and so they, they were able to walk, they were able to navigate where they were going, they were able to see Elisha and his servant, and so they're not physically blind, he's kind of altered their perception. They're seeing something that's not really there. They're seeing something that's different. Most theologians believe that God gave them a delusion. So Elisha says, these aren't the guys that you're looking for, they're not here, but I'll show you where they are. Reminds me of the scene in Star Wars where Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, of course, the, the stormtroopers are looking for, for R2-D2 and C-3PO, and they think they found him, and Obi-Wan goes, these are not the droids you're looking for. They're like, oh, well, I guess not the droids. I guess we need to move on. That's what Elisha did. They come down, and he says, these are not the men you're looking for. And then he says he'll lead them to where he's going to take them, but he doesn't take them where they think they're going. He takes them to Samaria. And, um, and Samaria was about a, a 10 to 12 mile journey from Dothan. So it would have taken about three hours. But it's also the capital of the northern kingdom. It's where the king is. It's where the king's army is. And so he leads them to this, 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 this trap. And then they get there. Look what happens in verse number 20. He says, And it came to pass, when they were come unto Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. This must have been a terrifying moment for them. They're following Elisha, but they don't know it's Elisha. They think it's someone else. They think this guy's taking them to Elisha. So they get there, and all of a sudden their eyes are open. They look around, and they're surrounded by the, the nation of Israel, their army. They went, oh, man, what are we going to do now? They, they realized that they were trapped. And look at verse number 21. It says, And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. What if thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with the sword and with the bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So the king, he comes to Elisha and goes, hey, man, this is great. Should we kill him? We got them all here. We got them trapped. Should we kill him? And Elisha says, that, that's not how war works. You don't kill POWs. You capture someone. You don't, you don't kill them. You, you, worse, you imprison them and maybe try to get some information out of them. But that's not what we're going to do either. We're going to feed them. We're going to give them something to drink. We're going to make them comfortable. And then we're going to send them home. Look at verse 23. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their masters, so the bands of Syria came no more to the land of Israel. They, they eat a big meal. They have a big feast. And then, then the king of Israel, he opens the gate and he lets them go. And the Syrian army, this enemy army, this, this army that was set out to destroy Elisha and destroy the king of Israel... They go home, and they never bother Israel again. Now, this story, it focuses on two types of blind people, two groups of people, and how spiritual blindness affects them differently. 
And so the first group we look at, we're going to look at is uh, believers and then the unbelievers. Both of these groups need their eyes open. So let's, first of all, let's look at the believers' blindness. Elisha's servant, when he comes out in the morning and he sees the army surrounding them, he was terrified. And we understand why. I mean, you're, you're on the run, you've got enemies out there, and you go outside a little more, and all of a sudden there's an, an enemy army surrounding you. You're going to be scared. But he was terrified because when he looked around, all he saw was the size of the enemy surrounding him. All he saw was the size of the problem. He saw the problem, but he was blind to the presence of God. And when, when that happens to us, when we are blind to the presence of God, it's because we're doubting two things. We're doubting the faithfulness of God's love and the strength of God's power. He thought God had abandoned them. He thought God had left them. He says, we're, we're surrounded. We're alone. There's no hope. This is the worst thing that could happen. And, and that right there is the core of all sin. For the believer and the unbeliever, it is a lack of faith in God's goodness. That's why, as children of God, we reject God's path and we go our own way. That's why, as the prophet said, we're like sheep who are prone to wander away from the, the goodness and the protection of the Master. We don't think God is infinitely good or trustworthy. We don't trust Him, so we rebel against Him. We disobey Him or we ignore Him. The reason we are afraid, the reason that we worry is because we don't believe the promises of God. We don't believe that God is good. We don't believe that He's always fighting for us. We don't believe that He will never leave us or forsake us. We don't really believe that he's working all things out for our good. Martin Luther said this. He said, every sin begins with an evil heart of unbelief. Religious people, like this servant, they often doubt God's goodness and God's love as much as unbelievers do. Unbelievers show their unbelief. They show their problems. They are rejected by, uh, by rejecting God. Believers show it by being worried, by being fearful, and by being uncertain. They show it by, show, by thinking they can perform enough for God to love them, for God to bless them, for God to accept them. To them, to the, to the believer who doubts the goodness of God, God is an adversary that has to be won over through good works. God, I've, I've done all this for you. Now you have to bless me. Martin Luther also said that our good works are a defense against the goodness of God. Think about that. The good works we try to do to to please God, or to impress God, or to, to get God to accept us, 
They are a defense against God's goodness. They are rejecting God's goodness. They are rejecting the goodness of God that is declared in the gospel. We don't really believe it. We don't really believe that God really truly loves us unconditionally. So we try to earn it by good works. So Elisha prays, and the servant's eyes are open. And he still sees the problem. He still sees the serious. They're still there. They haven't gone away. But he also sees the armies of God's love surrounding him and protecting him and fighting for him. When we as children of God, when we are, are afraid or doubtful or fearful, we need a clearer vision of God's goodness. The Apostle Paul knew this. That's why when he's writing the Ephesian church, he knew that because of some of the fears they were facing, that they couldn't really see the goodness of God, the love of God. So look what he prays for them in Ephesians chapter 3. He goes, he prays that they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all, full, with all the fullness of God. Paul says, I pray that your eyes will be open and you can see the depth of God's love, the height of God's love, the breadth of God's love, because God's love passes all understanding. Paul knows that the love of God is so vast, is so incredible, that no one can really properly explain it. So he prays that we will be able to sense it, to feel it, to see it. God's love for us is eternal, it's unwavering, and it's freely given. We need, as believers, we need our spiritual eyes open. We need to see that God is always good, that God is always there, and that God is always fighting for us. We need to see, really, truly see, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not height, not depth, not things created, not angels, not principalities, not kings. There is nothing in heaven or on earth that can keep you from the love of God. If we really saw that, we would be able to say with confidence that since God is for us, nothing can be against us. If we really saw that, we would be able to say it and believe it, not just say it because it's a good Bible verse, but we would say it and really believe that because God loves us, all things really do work out for our good in the end. That God is working in everything we face for our good, for our benefit, because he loves us. You know, in Ephesians, Paul, he contrasts being drunk with being filled with the Spirit. He goes, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into the, the debate about alcohol and whether it's okay or not okay. That, that's something we can talk about one-on-one -on -one if you really want to. There's a lot of warnings about alcohol in Scripture. And, and Paul says here, P, 
people who abuse alcohol, people who are getting drunk all the time because of their problems, they're, they're doing something wrong because being, being drunk to drown your problems and being filled with the Spirit are both ways to deal with our problems. Now, alcohol, it, it blurs our perception of reality. It, it dulls our fears and our worries and our pain. The Spirit does the exact opposite. He doesn't blur our sense of reality. He expands it. He lets us see that the armies of God are fighting for us and that they are greater than the armies of the enemy that are fighting against us. You know, this miracle in the book of 2 Kings in the life of Elisha, it took place in the city of Dothan, which is a, an important city in the life of another Hebrew historical figure, Joseph. Dothan was where Joseph was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. In fact, in that pit, he prayed for God to deliver him. Now, God answered his prayers. It took a while. He had to be sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. He was bought by a man named Potiphar, whose wife lied on him, and he was thrown in prison. He was met a couple, uh, a baker and a butler in prison. He, he helped them out, and the butler, of course, forgot about Joseph when he was released. But eventually, God had put Joseph in a place where he was second in command over all of Egypt, the most powerful nation of the day. He went from the pit to the palace. Joseph was used by God to save himself, to save his family, and to save the people of God. Now, if God would have answered Joseph's prayer in that pit, in the way that Joseph wanted him to, his family and Israel would have perished in the family. The chariots of fire and angels, they were fighting for Joseph, but they were working behind the scenes. You know, as a believer, we can be sure that God is always fighting for us, even if we don't see what he is doing right at that moment. See, and, and God works that way because he is doing more than resolving our problems. He's restoring our faith. He's building our faith in him and, our, and drawing us closer to him. The setbacks that you are facing, they are there for God to work through them to strengthen your walk with him to increase your faith in Him. We, as believers, need our spiritual eyes open. So we see the, the blindness of the believers. The second thing we notice is the unbeliever's blindness. See, these people, the Syrian army, they were unbelievers because they believed that God and His prophet Elisha were their enemies. They think if we can just capture and kill God's prophet, then all of our problems will be over. So Elisha prays and God strikes them with a special kind of blindness. They're, they can see, but their perception is wrong. That's how the unbeliever is. They think that they can see clearly, but their perception is skewed. They are blind and don't even know it. Elisha tells them that they're, they're looking for the wrong person. And he leaves them to the, the capital of Israel. 
And it's interesting because while they're, they're on the way, they think they're safe. They think they're in charge. They think they know what's going on. Then Elisha does something different. He does, he does something that no one expects. He opens her eyes. All of a sudden, their eyes are open and they realize they're not as safe as they thought. And now they think they're in danger. Now they think they're going to die because they've been captured by their enemy. They've been captured by the people of God. But Elisha does something incredible. Instead of having them killed, instead of having them become prisoners or slaves... He shows them grace and mercy. He feeds them. And he doesn't just give them some scraps of bread and water. The Bible says he, he prepared a feast for them. They ate well. They filled up. They, had a, they were treated like royalty. They were treated like family. He feeds them, and he opens the gate, and he lets them go. When their sight was restored... And they realized that they were where they were. They expected judgment. But Elisha gave them grace. They thought all their problems would be solved if they captured or destroyed Elisha. But instead, they found blessing when they were captured by him. You know, we see Jesus in this story. You know, when Jesus came to earth, everybody missed him. The religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were blinded to who Jesus was, thinking they were seeking someone else, just like these soldiers missed Elisha. To the Jews, they were looking for a conquering warrior, someone to come in and take the throne of David and, and kick off the shackles of the Roman Empire and take over the world. The Greeks, they were looking for a philosopher king. Someone to come and teach the truths of the universe. And when the Messiah showed up, serving the poor and washing feet and dying for our sins, everyone missed him. Like Elisha, Jesus took his enemies into the heart of the capital, to the throne room of God's justice. But instead of giving judgment, of passing judgment and putting wrath on us, he gave us grace. Instead of calling down legions of angels to destroy the people who were killing him and the people whose sin he was dying for, he said, Father, forgive them. That's incredible love that God has for his enemies. This, oh, this is ultimate victory. See, ultimate victory is not found in destroying your enemies, it's found in turning your enemies into friends. Turning your enemies into families. And that's what Elisha did with the Syrian army, and that's what Jesus did for us. See, the, the unbelievers, they have the same blindness that these soldiers do. They think that God is their enemy. His rules are restrictive. He doesn't really care about them. He's abandoned them and left them to their self. But the real tragedy is they think they see the truth. They think they see what's really going on. It seems clear to them, but they are blind. Like these soldiers, they think they will get what they need 
by capturing some earthly object. A job, a relationship, a salary. But just like in the story, you only find what you're really looking for when you're captured by God. See, Jesus, he did more than throw at the, throw at the feast and let us go. He took us into the throne room of God. Instead of taking vengeance on us, he poured out his blood for our sins. He took the wrath that was due us. He suffered and died to save us. That should, that should change how we feel about God. That should show you, if you're an unbeliever, that you can trust him. Every prophet in the Bible had angels of God on their side. Read the stories. Every prophet had God's protection or angels come and fight for them or, or give them relief or minister to them. Everyone did except Jesus. He was alone. He was forsaken. And he did it to save us. The soldiers that were captured by Elisha when he fed them and sent them away, they were changed. They left and they never again raided Israel. The soldier at the cross was changed by seeing Jesus' grace towards him. Jesus looks up the Father and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he says, truly, this is the Son of God. What changes your heart? What melts your heart of stone? Having eyes to see the love that God has for you. You know, John Newton, of course, he was uh, famous for writing the hymn Amazing Grace. Most of us know the story. He was a, a slave trader who was saved. And when he became a Christian, he realized the evil of what he was doing. And so he gave up that job and gave up his fortune and committed his life to God. And he wrote, of course, one of the, the, the most famous hymns in the world, Amazing Grace. But he wrote another powerful hymn called, I Saw One Hanging on a Tree. Here are the lyrics. Listen to the words of this song. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his loving eyes on me as near the cross I stood. Sure, never to my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt. And he helped to, and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for you, your ransom paid. I die that you may live. Oh, can it be upon a tree the Savior died for me. My soul is thrilled, my heart is filled to think he died for me. Seeing God's love for you, seeing Jesus' sacrifice for you, how he, he left the glories of heaven. He came to earth and he was rejected by those he came to save. 
He did what you could never do and lived a perfectly sinless life, completely fulfilled the law, and he died in your place for your sins. He took the wrath that was due you. He took your sins and the punishment that you should have suffered. He was rejected by the Father. He was abandoned by God for a while. He went into the pit of the earth. He paid your sin debt. He died, and he rose again to redeem you to God the Father so that now... When we accept Him as our Savior and God looks at us, He doesn't see our sinful nature. He doesn't see us filthy and wretched and enemies. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees us as a son. And seeing that and realizing that, it turns you from God's enemy into God's friend. You know, both believers and unbelievers... We need a fresh glimpse at the love of God. A lot of believers have a lot of knowledge about God. They know the Bible. They know the doctrine. They have all the knowledge they need, and that's great. But Jesus did not die to fill your head with facts. He died to fill your heart with love. God wants to open your eyes to see Him clearly, to see His love and His protection for you, to see His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, and His protection, and to take that vision to those who are still blind. The unbelievers, if you're out there this morning and you're listening, you're watching, and you're not 100% sure you're saved, you need your eyes open too. You need to see that God's not your enemy. God loves you. God died for you. God wants you to accept His free gift of salvation and become His child. He wants to adopt you into His family. That's, that's incredible love. You're His enemy. You're rejecting Him. But He wants to make you a son. He wants to make you a child of God. If you're not saved this morning, I urge you, take care of that right now. Don't wait any longer. Don't be God's enemy any enemy. Choose today, have your spiritual eyes open and see God's love for you and accept Him as your Savior. If you're, if you're watching and you want to do that, you want to become a child of God, your eyes have been open and you see God's love for you, I'm going to pray and you just repeat this prayer with after me in your heart or out loud. There's no power in the prayer. It's just you verbalizing what the Holy Spirit said on your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the time we have this morning. I thank you for this word that you've given us from the book of 2 Kings, showing us our need as believers and unbelievers to have our spiritual eyes open and see you for who you really are. See your love. See your mercy. See your power and protection. God, help us not to walk around as blind people, but to walk around with our eyes open and seeing what you do for us. As we continue to pray, if you're you're watching this morning, listen this morning, you're lost and you want to accept Christ as your Savior. I'll, I'll say, pray this prayer again. Just, just pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I know that my sin makes me your enemy. I know my sin will send me to hell. And Lord, I also know that you're not my enemy. You loved me so much. You sent your son to live a perfect life, 
to die on the cross for my sins and to rise again to redeem it. And Lord, I see that and I believe that and I put my faith in that. Lord, I trust that your death, burial, and resurrection are all that's needed for my salvation and I put my faith and trust in it, God. Lord, become my Savior. Become my Father. Thank you, God, for dying for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new relationship with God. Help you keep your spiritual eyes open and see how God loves you and what God has for you. So I'm going to put some information on the screen. Just reach out to us. You can send me an email. You can send me a text. You can call me. Let's just rejoice with you and praise God with you. Thank you all so much for joining with us today. Hope you have a wonderful, blessed day in the Lord. Tomorrow morning, 8.30 a.m., you'll get the small group study guide, the growth group study guide for this week. And so you can be prepared for the, the growth groups this week. And just hope the Lord blesses you. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace. Our church is growing and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged in or would like more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit us online at reachingrono.com. Thanks so much for listening and have a blessed day.